just to kind of help us uh, wade in the waters uh, from last week. If you remember, uh, last week we introduced um, the uh, seven deadly sins. We just kind of talked about them, what they are, and we began with sloth. And so um, we talked about there's um, an opposite um, virtue that complements the deadly sin. It doesn't necessarily complement it. It fights against it, right? The title of our preaching series is called Living Yes Requires No. Living a yes to Jesus, choosing Jesus, requires us to say no to the things that compete for Jesus. And the enemy, the devil, wants to, wants to offer us bad deals. He wants to offer us counterfeits that look valuable. They look tempting. They look like they could offer us something, but actually when we grasp them, when we buy into them, they actually are a counterfeit. So this week we want to look at lust, the counterfeit of lust, the counterfeit of what maybe lust promises us. And then we want to look at the virtue of chastity, right? Again, what's a virtue just to kind of help us get back in the waters? A virtue is a firm attitude. It's stable dispositions. It's habitual perfections of intellect and will. It governs our actions, our passions. It guides our conduct according to reason and faith. They make possible, this is the goal, right? They make possible self-mastery and joy in leading a morally good life. A virtuous person is one who can freely practice the good. A virtuous person is someone who can freely follow Jesus when they want to. They're not um, enslaved to certain patterns or behaviors or attitude in their life. If I really want to follow Jesus, a virtuous person is someone who can actually continue to take steps forward in their life. Which is why this conversation is really important because if there are things in my life that I don't know of that are keeping me, holding me back, pulling me back, chains, in fact, that keep me from following Jesus, even if I want to, I want to be aware of them. I want to know how they play out in my life. And I want to be equipped to say no. This is kind of the, the pattern of our conversation today. Um, we, what we want to do is we want to expose the enemy, right? Um, if you uh, went to a jeweler, a jewelry store, and you were... Um, Maybe say a guy and you wanted to um, buy your fiance a nice wedding ring. And someone told you, you know, there's 10 real diamonds in here and there's two cubic zirconium, but good luck. Wouldn't you want to know which one's the counterfeit? Which one's the fake one? Because they're all the same price. We would. So we want to expose the enemy who tries to take away our joy and sabotage our heart. We want to expose him. And then we want to look at our own experience and say, how does lust play into my life? What does it look like practically? And then finally, hopefully, we can leave here equipped with some tools to maybe better combat lust and practice chastity. So let's get started. What is lust, right? Lust is disordered desire for or inordinate enjoyment of sexual pleasure. Keyword here, disordered. God came to bring order in our life. You read Genesis, God created in order. There's an order in God. And when things in our life are disordered, which means they are out of whack, 
then we don't properly understand the place of things the way God designed them to be. So disordered desires, desire is good, it's beautiful, and often it's holy. But when our desire becomes disordered, we begin to look for and long for and cling for things that are not what God wants of us. Inordinate enjoyment of sexual pleasure. Sexual pleasure is good. It's designed by God, but it's made to be in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. When it's outside of that and when it's um, unhindered, when it's not responsibly channeled, it becomes lust. And we'll talk about what that looks like, right? Sexual pleasure is morally disordered when sought for itself. Isolated from its unitive and procreative purposes. That's the catechism. When it's sought for itself. When I seek sexual pleasure just from me and I am inconsiderate of whoever I am participating with in that act. I want you to hear over and over, it's self-referential. It's me-centered. It's not other-centered. I'm gonna begin to use other people for my own gratification. I begin to use and objectify other people. What does scripture say about lust? This is just a couple of examples. This is from Proverbs chapter six. Can a man carry fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk upon hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. He who commits adultery has no sense. He who does it destroys himself. So that's why the, the sins are deadly, right? We're hurting ourselves. We're destroying something in us. We're destroying a capacity in us to receive love and to give love. So when I lust and when I, uh, when I act on lust, I'm killing something in me and I'm killing my capacity to receive something God wants to give me. This is uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the will of God, your holiness. God wants you to be holy. He wants you to be filled with God. That's what holiness means. When something is holy, it means it's filled with God. That you may abstain from sexual immorality. That's what God wants. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust, like a heathen who does not know God. God wants us to control our heart and our mind and our body so we honor each other and we have self-control. My grandpa always used to say, I'm not sure if this is gonna come off right, but um, says, you know, you can always window shop, just don't, don't touch the merchandise, right? What's he saying? There's a difference, right, between um, noticing something beautiful and in our minds and our heart taking that to the next step and in our own mind begin to fantasize or begin to objectify what we're looking at. It's a difference between lust 
and love is the difference between looking at someone the way God sees them and looking at someone with lustful eyes. How do you know you might struggle with lust? So um, some of you in here are actually saying, I'm over that. I'm good to go. Uh, It's about 1% of you might be saying that. The rest of us are like right in the pocket because this is um, right at home with us. But if you're not convinced yet, this um, might help you understand if you struggle with lust or not. Um, You or your spouse have or have in the past used any form of contraception when you were married. Number two, uh, you're actually surprised or annoyed that the above sentence was actually used first. For you are of the belief that God and religion are fine to talk about in church, but it has no place in your bedroom. Like God should not be messing with my intimate life, especially with whoever I want to exercise that with. Because we want to keep it safe. We want to keep it to my control and my domain and what I think is right and wrong. You think that just because you are married that your spouse is obligated to have sex with you and thus you expect sex from your spouse whenever, even if they don't want to. And the above statement is actually surprising to you. For you're convinced that marriage gave you the right to use your spouse. As we continue to talk about lust, I want you to hear how this language of using objectifying, how it is so against what love is. Love is to will the good of the other. Love is to be able to look at another person and see them as God sees them and want their good. Lust is a lure for us to begin to use another person, not considering their good, but it's just about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I need. And the other person becomes something that I just discard when I'm through with them. I did skip one just so that we have fun. You might struggle with lust if you look at pornography, enjoy sexual uh, provocative scenes in movies, or indulge in romantic novels. You have had or are having an emotionally romantic or physically romantic relationship with someone that you're not married to. You, know, you, fantasize, you fantasize about sexual things. So I definitely want to speak to both the feminine and the masculine because um, I think lust plays in our life in maybe different ways sometimes. Um, so this is not just a physical manifestation. Oftentimes it's an emotional manifestation. A lot of... Um, Sometimes we can have emotional affairs with other people. We can live in an emotional fantasy with other people. What happens when we live in an emotional fantasy, we're unable to love the person right in front of us because it's not fantasy, it's reality, and it's tough. Same thing with with physical lust. Oftentimes I, I, I just imagine someone else and I'm unable to love the person right in front of me because my mind and my heart are betraying me and betraying the person that I really want to love. So how does this come out in our experience? This is important for us to hear. Love attacks our capacity to authentically love. The enemy wants to attack what is good and beautiful and holy. To love someone is, is, is to be like God. God is love. And so the enemy wants to attack our capacity to love authentically. And he wants to rewire our passions 
towards extreme self-indulgence. Thus, we are conditioned to not care for or about another person. Self-indulgence. We allow ourselves to be programmed to see others as objects for our pleasure. Have you ever heard of uh, narcissism, right? You know the definition of narcissism? A narcissistic person is someone who's, it's, it's all about them. They're the center of the world. They're the center of their reality. And everything around them is simply just an opportunity for them to get what they want, use and discard. What lust does is it creates, it feeds a narcissistic belief in our heart. It teaches us to abandon others when we get whatever we want from them. And this will give you something to pray with. Lust is to marriage as embezzlement is to business. To experience embezzlement in a business, it's, it's very, it's secretive. It's, it's slowly draining funds. The business is slowly dying and no one really knows about it. If you are married and there is lust seeping in to your marriage, what's happening is the capacity for the man and the woman, the husband and wife to love each other without limitations, truly as God wants them to, is slowly being eroded away. And if that's important, if that's real, we want to really know about it, right? It's often been said that lust is, is simply medicating. We're medicating some pain inside of us. Uh, Julian of Norwich says, when God sees sin, he sees pain in us. So this, is, this homily is really not about um, um, us feeling judged or feeling condemned. Right, the woman at the well today. Jesus says, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. I know, because you have five of them, and the one that you're with is not your husband. He doesn't condemn her. He wants to offer her hope. He wants to offer her love. He wants to love us in church to offer us maybe a possibility that we don't have to be slaves to lust. He sees pain in us where we sin, because he knows that we are unable to receive the fullness of his heart for us. This is maybe something that, to, to study and just think about, those of you who maybe haven't seen this, what triggers lust? What triggers often the temptation, uh, or at least makes the temptation a little more alluring? It's typically when we're hurting, when we're, when we're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or stressed. When you think about it, nobody likes to be hungry, nobody likes to be tired, angry, stressed, lonely. We want to run from those things. We want to escape from those things. So we often turn to things that are comforting just to help us get away. We'll turn to food, bowl of ice cream. Ugh. Maybe we turn to Netflix. I just want to escape, right? Or maybe we turn to something that's unhealthy, right? Internet, phone, just one click away. I can just escape. Maybe some of you are into romance novels. I can just, I can escape to that fantasy world where Oh, if, if, if only it could be like this, so I can get away from what really hurts. That's where the Lord wants to love us and speak to us, where it hurts, right? He wants to love us authentically because many of us want to just be seen as we are rather than used as an object. So, if we're going to live, yes, 
and ability to know we need to think about this. If we can't say no, what does our yes really mean? If you can't say no to something, if some of you are struggling right now with lust and you just can't get over it, if you can't say no, what does the yeses in your life really mean? So chastity. We want to exercise the virtue of chastity. What is chastity? It's the integration of our sexuality in each one of us. It's to integrate it. It's not to let it drive us. It's not to let it be something we're afraid of. God made us all and gave us all the gift of our sexuality. But to integrate it and to learn how to be a master of it. Apprenticeship and self-mastery, that's what the church talks about in the catechism. What does that mean? It means to look at Jesus and ask him, teach us how to love. We're in a generation of people that are losing their ability to love. Like we are being fed constant messages and images of, um, of lies. We're not being told how to sacrifice. We're being told how to use we're not being told that a person actually has dignity. We're being told that a person is just a commodity. We judge people's worth by what they look like and what they can do rather than who they are. And we're being programmed constantly like that. We need to return to Jesus and ask Jesus, Jesus, please change my heart. I, I can't. I am being influenced too much by the world that wants me to use people emotionally, physically. I need you to reprogram my heart so that I have the capacity to authentically love people. That's what prayer is. We go to Jesus and we say, Lord, I'm broken. I need help, right? Give me that life-giving water inside of me. So step one, just some practical things. Uh, you and I are not going to grow in chastity, in love, if we're not honest with ourselves and we don't admit what we struggle with. It's like uh, uh, those who are addicted, Step one, admit you're powerless. Those of you who struggle with lust and it has a control over you, there's no point in us talking about chastity if you don't admit as an adult that you have a struggle, right? Unless we have the courage to admit, we will forever become slaves. Lust and holiness are incompatible. Please hear me. If you authentically want to grow in holiness and you have means and avenues in your life, whether it's relationships, whether you have your favorite websites, whether you just have your favorite romance novels that you go to, if you have that in your life and it's present and it's available and it's just easy to go to and you're trying to grow in chastity, those are incompatible. You can't do them at the same time. And what's even more dangerous is if we think that way, we're going to begin to use God that way. Think about it. We go to God when we need something. And we use God as if he's someone to give us something that we need. It's very narcissistic. Step two, we want to see rightly. Uh, Deus Caritas asked, this is uh, Pope Benedict. He says, we want to see with the eyes of Christ I can give to others much more than their outward necessities. I can give them the look of love which they crave. We all crave to be looked at with love. 
um, just to maybe speak to the feminine here, you know when someone looks at you in love, and you know it's when someone looks at you with lust. It's a different look. If we can go to the Lord and ask Him courageously to heal our mind, to heal our heart, to heal the way I see people, Jesus, give me your eyes so that I can see them as you see them, so that I can love them as you love them, to see people as Jesus sees them. And finally, step three, remove all forms of temptation. Just to speak to the, um, just those who struggle with alcohol, just because it's, it's understandable. Um, for those of you who are clean, who are sober, who, praise God, um, I just want to um, celebrate the grace there. But for those who have been struggling with alcoholism and they, they're sober right now with sobriety, they don't have a bottle of bourbon in their kitchen on the countertop just so that they can say how strong they are. No, they know how weak they are, so they get rid of everything that would be slightly available when they're weak because they know their weakness. So if you struggle with lust, remove all the temptation. Make it difficult, if not impossible, for you to get to the source of the deadly sin. Finally, start fasting and exercising other forms of self-denial. Um, I hate to exercise, but I exercise because it, I don't want to exercise, right? It's good form of self-denial. It, it tells my body, you don't run me, I run you. It tells my mind, you don't run me, I run you. Food's good. But saying no to food says, you know what? I'm hungry, but I don't have to eat. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. And finally, maybe you've heard me talk about this image. Um, Cortez, General Cortez, um, Spanish conquistadors, uh, they were leaving Spain uh, to go to the, the New World, the Americas. They land uh, in Mexico. Um, he's got a whole fleet of army. It was a miserable, rough journey over the ocean. Uh, his, his army's hungry, they're tired, they're angry, they're lonely probably, right? Thinking about back home. And he knew the, the war was going to be fierce with the Aztec people of the, the land. He could see the fear in their eyes. And he knew that once the battle got fierce, once it got really serious and, and their brothers started to die around them, they were going to think how comfortable it was back home. They were going to think how much more food they had at home, how much better it was back home in Spain. And they were going to want to go back to the ships, get on the ships, and go back home. So Cortez said, burn the ships. Burn the ships. We're going to eliminate our escape route. We're going to eliminate the possibility of going back to whatever is comfortable, wherever we were indulging in. And I need us as a community to consider, why would I leave the back door open? Why would I leave it unlocked? Why would I leave any possibility of the enemy who wants to sabotage my heart and give me a counterfeit? Why would I leave anything open in the relationship? Get an accountability partner. Put locks on your computer or your phone. Get rid of the books, whatever it is. If it hurts, it hurts. And let's start coming up with a different form of medication for our heart that is in pain. 
Jesus is the divine physician, and anything less will disappoint us. I don't take our conversation lightly. I know it hits home to many of us. Let's pray for each other, and let's bring our hearts to the altar now and ask Jesus to do what only Jesus can do.